Well, it's good to be with you this evening. Uh, as Matthew mentioned, I grew up here, actually went to, was involved in the youth group in high school, and the, this is a true story, but the first night that I came to the youth group, it was Matthew, Pastor Matthew, that drove me to youth group. So it's really a miracle that I came back and got involved, but I somehow survived that evening. And uh, I'm so thankful. The longer that I've, I've been gone from Cornerstone, the more thankful I am for those foundational years and just the, the seeds of the gospel that were sown into my life and that have yielded so much fruit. So I'm thankful for you all, thankful for your partnership. So a little bit about me, I moved away, graduated from high school, moved to North Carolina, went to college, and uh, the, thought I was going to go into business, and the Lord had other plans, like He often does for us, and, uh, and called me into ministry. And so I have been working with college students in North Carolina for 10 years, and then in Florida for the last three years, uh, engaging in campus ministry. And so you can see in the, in the meantime, during that time, I met my wife, uh, so that's Jamie, and then we have four young children. So this is, uh, we got two girls and two boys. This will be an even year for us, which means our kids are eight, six, four, and two. Uh, that's how I keep track of them. And uh, so, so thankful for them. I wish they were able to be here with, with uh, you all this evening, but my wife is corralling them down in Florida uh, as we speak, I'm sure, trying to get them to bed. So that's our family. You can go to the next slide. I wanted to share a little bit about the work that we've been doing for the last three years in Florida. So we moved, we had been in North Carolina, and the Lord was growing what we were doing there. And we felt like the Lord was ready to multiply us and to send us to a new place. And so we prayed about where God might be calling us. And the long story short is that he opened a door in central Florida. There's over 250,000 college students in the central part of Florida, over a million college students in the state. So there's a huge need. And so three years ago, we took a team of staff and began ministering on three campuses. And it's really been uh, a testimony of God's faithfulness over the last few years. As you can imagine, COVID was not a part of our five-year plan. So it wasn't like, yeah, 18 months into a launch of a new ministry, what we'd really love to have to do is face a global pandemic. So you can imagine how that would affect campus ministry and seeing college students, all the momentum we tried to build for 18 months and then watching our college students get sent home uh, to, to go home. And so we scrambled to figure out how to care for them, how to invest in them, like I'm sure you all did here to care for people here. And, uh, and it's, it's just been one story after another of God's providence and grace in the lives of our students. And I wanted to highlight a couple of them. So you see this picture here. This summer we got a chance to take 20 of our students up to South Carolina. We do a leadership project where basically for three weeks we invest in the spiritual lives of students. So we teach them how to study the Bible. We teach them how to pray. Uh, we, we teach them how to share their faith with others. And, and the goal is really to equip them to go back to their campuses and to go back to their homes to invest in others. And so we were part of partnering with two other campus outreach regions. So there were 150 college students that we were developing and investing in. And it was a really fun opportunity uh, to get to do that with, with the students. And I want to tell you one story. I want to end by telling you one story about two students that were on that project. You can go to the next slide there. So uh, if you start from the far right, these are some of our student leaders. So Chris is on the far right, but I want to focus on Craig, the next guy uh, next to him, so one in from the, the right, and then Maddie. Uh, Craig and Maddie were two students that we actually met three years ago. So when we moved down in the fall of 2018, we were trusting that God was going to connect us to students 
that needed the gospel. And so we began building relationships on our campuses, praying that as we shared our faith that, that God would move and His Spirit would transform lives. And so two of the students that God worked in that fall semester were Craig and Maddie. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about both of them. Craig grew up in a Jewish home and really did not hear the gospel until he got to college. But he came into college searching. He knew that his, his life, there was something missing in his life. And so he met one of our staff guys and he got to share the gospel with Craig, and Craig made a profession of faith, and we've watched Craig's life really be radically altered over the last few years. And then Maddie, that same semester, she met, she had come into college having grown up in the church, but like so many, so many students that go to, off to college, they have to really wrestle with what do they believe. And so even though Maddie had been in the church, she really didn't have clarity on the gospel. And so she met with one of our staff girls, uh, got connected to her, and then uh, uh, Chloe got to share the gospel with, with Maddie, and that fall, Maddie professed faith in Christ. And we just watched Maddie and Craig, among, among many other students, their lives be altered by the gospel. So they started growing in their faith, they started walking with Jesus, and then God, the, what God did out of that was He gave them a heart for others. So they started sharing their faith with other students on campus, and they started Bible studies on campus. And so this, uh, actually, we're in the process right now of hiring Craig and Maddie, two students that did not know Jesus when they walked on our campuses three years ago, and now they both have a burden to help other college students know the gospel. And so one of the crazy things about Craig and Maddie's story is that we realized this about six months ago as we were talking with them. We realized that Craig and Maddie actually made a profession of faith on the exact same night that fall, October 24th, 2018. This is actually, the next slide is a Slack message. If you're unfamiliar with Slack, it's kind of a way to communicate with our staff. And this is a Slack message from our team communicating. And you can see that Graham said, hey, Craig, a freshman on Florida Southern's baseball team, just accepted Christ. Please pray for him. And then just a minute later, Chloe saying that a girl named Maddie became a Christian at our kitchen table tonight. And uh, so I don't know if you know where you were on October 24th, 2018, but I know where the Lord was. At least he was in lots of places, but he was working in Craig and Maddie's hearts. And so I want to share that story with you just to say that, that God is working and God is working through you all as you pray for us and as you partner with us. And so you, you might not have any idea that you're connected to their stories and that God is using you to reach college students and raise them up as laborers for his harvest. So thank you for your partnership. Thank you for your prayers. We really are so grateful uh, for, for you all. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump into our sermon for this evening. So if you guys would pray with me. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. This is not about me or campus outreach. This is about your kingdom and your glory and your name going forth. And so, God, we thank you for your commitment to work in the lives of people. God, we thank you that you've sent your spirit to breathe life into us and to give us life with you for eternity. Jesus, we pray tonight that you would speak through me, that you would use this text in the scriptures to encourage us, to challenge us, to help us to think about your kingdom and what it looks like to be a part of the growth and expansion of your kingdom in the world. Lord, we pray that you would help us to hear, help us to listen, to receive, and to leave here not just knowing more information, but actually to have hearts that have been transformed by your power. We pray this in your name. Amen. So you all have been working through a sermon series on the book of Acts, 
where really I think you guys have had a front row seat on all that God was doing in the early church. I was kind of catching up and looking online, and I think you're 30-something sermons into this series. And it's amazing to think about all that God was doing in the early church. Just some of the things that happened in the book of Acts. Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and descends. You've got lots of people professing faith in Christ, lots of people being converted, there's preaching, there's persecution, you've got visions and dreams, the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles. I mean, those are just a few of the things that God's doing in the book of Acts. And essentially, the early church was exploding with growth. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read Acts, which I, lo- I love to read Acts, but it kind of can sound foreign or strange Because I think sometimes we look at our own lives and we think, man, God did that then, but is He really doing that stuff now? You know, last time I checked that tonight, we're not going to walk out into downtown Easton and there's going to be some Christian on trial being stoned for their faith. Just probably not going to happen tonight. And I haven't read any stories in the morning call about somebody going over to Lafayette College and preaching the gospel and the whole campus in one night professing faith in Christ. Those would be amazing. Well, the first thing would not be good if someone was being stoned, but it would be amazing if there was radical transformation and radical conversions happening. So how do we make sense of what's going on in Acts? And how do we reconcile that with our experience in the church today? Well, thankfully, Jesus talks a little bit about that in this parable in Matthew 13. And so he talks about this idea of the growth of the kingdom. So I think there's some things that we can learn from from this passage. But before we jump into today's verses, I just want to give us a little bit of perspective on Jesus' use of parables. If you're unfamiliar with what a parable is, this is really a helpful way to think about it. A parable is a physical story intended to tell us a spiritual reality. So a physical story meant to tell us a spiritual reality. And so Jesus would use these parables that were relatable to a first century Jew to help them contextualize these kind of big heavenly spiritual things that he was trying to accomplish. So every time you read a parable or every time we look at a parable, we should be asking ourselves, what's the spiritual reality that Jesus is wanting us to understand here? So I want us to be thinking about that tonight as we look at these two verses about the parable of the mustard seed. He's not just talking about a mustard seed. He's talking about something bigger than that. So that's my aim for us this evening. Let's go ahead and read Matthew 13, 31 through 32. We'll have the verses up there for you to look at, or you can open your Bibles and pull them out. Here's what Jesus says. He put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, I want us to think for a minute, what would it have been like for the disciples or the crowds to hear that parable? Or really to hear Jesus teaching about the kingdom? I mean, what what would they have thought when they were thinking about the kingdom? And, and here's one of the things. There was all sorts of stuff going on, rumblings about Jesus' miracles, about that he might be the Messiah. And people were, had all sorts of expectations about what the kingdom was going to mean. Really, they thought it was going to mean political deliverance. 
that there was going to be this political leader, this, this militaristic leader that was going to come and deliver them from the Roman rule, and that it would bring freedom and power, and that they would get out from underneath the, the, uh, the tyranny of the Romans, and that it would give them freedom. And the reality is that this is what people were thinking about, this revolution of the kingdom that Jesus, they thought Jesus was bringing. They thought the kingdom was going to come powerfully, and they thought the kingdom was going to come quickly. That it was going to come with might and power and force, and that it would happen instantaneously. That when Jesus showed up, it just would all of a sudden change their circumstances. But what does Jesus say here that the kingdom is like? He says that it begins small and that it grows slow. So you can imagine the confusion that some of these followers were thinking when Jesus was saying this parable. You know, there's not a whole lot of flash in the seed of a mustard plant. Jesus, what he was doing was radically altering their expectations about the kingdom and the growth of the kingdom. One Bible commentator said this. He said, Israel was not prepared for an insignificant beginning or coming, uh, beginning to the kingdom. So the image of the mustard seed would have shocked its listeners. Now, that was them, but what about us? You see, the Jews were concerned that the coming of the kingdom and the growth of the kingdom, about the coming of the kingdom and the growth of the kingdom. And, and here's the thing. They had misconceptions about the kingdom. They clearly didn't have it all right in terms of what they were expecting the kingdom to bring, but they knew that the king and the kingdom were important. But what about us? Just think a question for us to ask this evening is, do we have the same interest in Jesus, the king, and his kingdom? You know, I want to be honest with you this evening. I think we all, as Americans, are distracted people. We're distracted with all sorts of things. When we wake up in the morning, how often do we think about Jesus and his kingdom? We tend to focus on mostly our own little kingdoms. That's just the tendency for us is to think about my day, my week, my schedule, what I've got going on, and we so often forget to look up and think about his kingdom in the world. You know, I was reading recently that, the, uh, that Clemson University has started a branding department to help all of its student athletes develop their own brand. And that's not necessarily like an inherently evil thing, but it tells you that the trajectory of our culture is making much of the individual and not thinking about the whole. So we want to elevate our name and our fame and our glory that's what so much of social media is, right? It's just drawing attention to ourselves. And that's just, that's human nature. That's tendency. Think about a yearbook. When you would get your yearbook in school, what was the first picture that you typically turned to in the yearbook? Your own picture, right? You want to see, how's my picture look? How many times did I show up in the yearbook? And then maybe you'd move on to whatever else you wanted to read in that before you got everyone else to sign it. I don't know if that still goes on anymore. They probably have digital yearbooks. But, uh, but here's the thing. It doesn't matter if you're 18 or 88. God's created us to be about him and his kingdom. Matthew 6.33 tells us that we should seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We were created for his kingdom. Now, maybe some of you are here this, this evening and you're not a Christian. And you're new to Christianity, maybe you're investigating, you're trying to explore things, and that, this is a great place to be. We're glad that you're here. 
But I, I want to tell you, we believe that Jesus is the king of an incredible kingdom. And I know that Cornerstone is a place that there are testimonies of how, how this king has radically changed people's lives. Now, at the same time, if you're here tonight and you would consider yourself a Christian, then I want us to remember. Daniel said this, remember back to what it was like when you came to Christ. Remember that if you're a Christian, then Jesus is your king. He's our king. And if he's our king, then we should have a vested interest in understanding his kingdom and how his kingdom is supposed to grow. So with that being said, what I want to do tonight with you all is I just want to look at three aspects of growth in the kingdom that we see in this parable. And I want us to consider how those realities about the kingdom affect how we think about life and how we think about being involved in the church. So here's the first one. The kingdom starts small. So if you're taking notes, you can write this down. The kingdom starts small. Jesus is telling us that the kingdom is like a grain of mustard seed. Now, when I read this parable, it's not like I'm super familiar with how small or how big a grain of mustard seed. I assumed it was small. But how small is the grain of a mustard seed? Well, it is tiny. I did a little bit of research, and I found out that it takes 12,000 mustard seeds, 12,000 mustard seeds to weigh one ounce. So that is a lot of mustard seeds to equal one ounce. Now, the average baby that's born, some of you have maybe had smaller babies, some of you had larger babies, we've had four, but the average baby that's born is around seven and a half pounds, so seven pounds, eight ounces. So I pulled out my calculator for this, and it calculated that it would take almost one and a half million mustard seeds, one and a half million, to weigh the same as the average baby that's born. So you, you, you get the picture there that a mustard seed is very small. Well, while this, dis, while this surprised the disciples about how small the kingdom starts, it really shouldn't surprise us. Let's just think about this for a minute. Some of the ways that God has repeatedly demonstrated that he likes to show up in small and sometimes insignificant ways or the unlikeliest of places. Think about this. When God created the world, the heavens and the earth, how many people did he put in the world? One, and then he added a second. Just think about that for a minute. God could have said, I, I'm going to create the world, and I'm going to create 50 cities all over the, in all the continents, and every city I'm going to put a million people. And then, and then we're going to grow from there. And instead, he said, one man and one woman. And then think about this. What did he say? He said, be fruitful and multiply, so have children. But how long did it take? How long does it take to have a baby? Nine months from conception. It, it wasn't like, hey, ha decide you're going to have a baby, and then three hours later, there's your baby. It was a slow, drawn-out process. Now, for all of you who are parents, you're thankful for that nine months because it helped you kind of figure out a few things, at least as much as you could before your baby came. That was a grace to us, but it was small and slow how God used one man and one woman to populate the earth. Think about Abraham. In Hebrews, it tells us that Abraham and Sarah were so old that they were as good as dead. Now think about that. God decides that he's going to populate the world with his people as he grows uh, Israel, the nation of Israel, that they're going to outnumber the sand of the seashore and the stars in the sky. And what does he do? He takes two old people that are as good as dead 
and decides to use them to bring about his growth in his people. How about David, the smallest and youngest of eight sons? He was the overlooked one. I mean, his father was basically like, I don't even need to bring him out because there's no way he's going to be king. And yet God uses David to be king over his people. You get the picture here that God repeatedly demonstrates that he likes to show up in the unlikeliest of places. And then think about this. How about Jesus, the Son of God, who has authority with the Father for all he created He was there at creation. He created the heavens and the earth. And how does Jesus show up? He shows up in the womb of a woman. And and think about this. He spends nine months in darkness growing in a womb before he even comes into the world, let alone 30 years before he begins his public ministry. So the Son of God shows up as a child in the womb of an obscure Galilean woman. You see, this is how God likes to work. He likes to start in the unlikeliest of places. Why why is this so important for us to hear? Well, I think for a couple of reasons. One, this should humble us. If you're here this evening, and like I said before, if you're new to Christianity, it's important that you understand that Christians are not a bunch of people that have it all together. If that's what somehow you think about Christians, I just, I'm gonna correct you, and hopefully others can correct you too. That's not what it means to be a Christian. We're not a bunch of good people who have done enough good things and now somehow have merited God's grace and favor. Like we finally proved ourselves to God and therefore he's blessing us. No, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that we all started in the humblest of places. What, where does all of our testimonies start? Well, the Bible says that it started really in the grave. Paul tells us in Ephesians that we were dead in our sins. He tells us in Romans that we were enemies of God. We were hostile toward him. And the rest of the scriptures tell us that we were blind and lost and had hearts of stone. That's the testimony for every Christian. We were lost and he found us. There's no pride in that. It's humility. That's the message that a Christian should share. This is the incredible news about God's kingdom, that although we've sinned and rebelled and committed treason against a holy king, he sent Jesus, his son, to come after us and to deliver us into his kingdom. That's amazing news. That's why we celebrate our king, Jesus. It's why this church is called Cornerstone, because Jesus is the foundation of everything that happens here. Why, why are those events happening? Why is there ministry in the community? Because of Jesus. It's all connected to the king and his kingdom. So if anybody should know about humble beginnings and starting small, it should be us as Christians. For those of us who would identify with Christ, we need to be reminded that God is in the business of making dead people come alive. He's in the business of taking enemies and making them friends. He's in the business of making the blind see. And he's in the business of taking our cold and lifeless hearts. We just sung about this and making them burn for him. Listen to what Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians. He says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish 
in the world to shame the wise. God chose what's weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what's low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. God's power is great, and that should humble us. Well, not only should this reality humble us, but it also should encourage us. It should encourage us for a number of reasons. One of them is, as you all know, I I mentioned this, I work for a college ministry, and our staff serve on a few campuses in Central Florida. And when we moved down there a few years ago, we we had a big vision. There's 250,000 college students. There's a lot of students that are not being reached or underreached with the gospel. And we had a vision to reach those college students across the state. But the reality is for us, we couldn't just immediately start reaching 250,000 college students. There was only a small team of nine of us. And so that wasn't gonna happen overnight. And so one of the things that we talked about regularly in terms of an approach to growing the work that we were trying to do is we, we use this expression. And I think, it, I think it was helpful for us and it might be helpful for you as you think about the growth of God's kingdom. We said, we wanna think big. So we wanna think big. How do we reach 250,000 college students? But the reality is we've gotta start small and then go deep with a few. So think big, start small, and go deep with a few. And so we, we've started to do that. We're just a few years in, and it's not always been easy, but we've said, hey, we have this big, big dream, big desire, and we're praying that eventually we'll get there, but the reality is we've got to start small, and we've got to invest deeply in a few. You know, I want to ask you a question this evening, especially for those of you who have been at Cornerstone for a while or would call this your home. What are your dreams for this church? What do you want to see God do in downtown Easton or Nazareth or Phillipsburg or Bangor or Bethlehem? You know, I don't live here anymore. I live in Florida. I pray for you all. I'm, I try to keep up with what's going on here so I know what's going on and, and can stay connected. But I don't want to have bigger dreams for your city and your church than you have for your city and your church because God has you here. Don't let Tim and the staff here at Cornerstone be the only ones who dream. Dream with them. Pray with them. Come to them with your dreams and say, hey, how can we see this happen and how can I play a part of this? Now here's here's the challenge. Some of us, we do dream. Maybe some of you are like, I've been dreaming. I've got all sorts of plans and ideas and I wanna see God do this. And sometimes we get paralyzed in wanting to see God move. There's so much we wanna see him do that we don't know where to start. And I think this is one of the important realities that we see from this parable is that you don't have to do something crazy and flashy. Just start small. I wanna give you a few practicals. Start praying for a few people in your life that don't know Jesus. Who do you know that's far from God and yet close in proximity to you? A coworker, a neighbor, a family member, a classmate. Maybe you could start small by just inviting your neighbors over for a meal, just getting to know them, pursuing relationship with them. Maybe you could ask a coworker to get coffee, to start a conversation. Sometimes I think we get so caught up and we gotta do this and do big things and the reality is Jesus is just calling us to do the small thing. You know, some of our college students they get so excited, they're like, I wanna to go, to go to the nations, and we wanna send our college students to the nations. But, but we often say, hey, if you're not willing to walk across your dorm 
to the other side of the hall and knock on your neighbor's door, I don't know that you're really going to be able to go to the other side of the world and have all this success. Like, you got to start small by doing, being faithful where God has you. You know, a few years ago when we moved to Lakeland, I uh, began doing some personal ministry with a wrestling team at Southeastern University. And I got, got to know the coach, and he gave me an opportunity to speak to the team. And I, I wanted to reach the team, and we have a vision to reach the campus, including all the student-athletes there, the hundreds of student-athletes. But I met two students on the wrestling team, Dylan and Silas. And they were hungry, they wanted to grow, they wanted to reach their team. And so I thought big, and I started small. And I just started spending time with Dylan and Silas, investing in them, helping them grow spiritually, helping them think about how to reach their teammates. And then last year, we had an opportunity to reach more of their teammates. I got to know some of the younger guys on the team. And so we started a Bible study for those guys. And that, starting with two, eventually led to about eight to ten guys that were meeting regularly on the wrestling team. And this year, I just met with a coach a few days ago, and he's like, hey, we want you to come, we want you to come once a month and speak at, speak at team meetings. We want you to connect to all the guys on the team. He's given us an incredible open door to minister to these guys. And our goal for this year is that every wrestler on the team, all 40 of them, would have someone who could personally share the gospel with them and call them to, to make a decision to put their faith and trust in Jesus. And so, and, and, and you know what we're going to do next year? We're going to take those guys that are hungry and want to grow, and then we're going to talk about how are we going to reach the rest of the teams on this campus. It's not always about how do we do the big event to reach the most amount of people. Sometimes it's just the small steps of faithfulness over a long period of time. So the kingdom, kingdom growth, it starts small. The second thing we see is that it grows exponentially. It grows exponentially. There's a couple of reasons why I think it's important for us to know that the nature of the kingdom is the, is of growth is meant to grow in an exponential or multiplying way. One of them is that it gives us hope. Jesus is not saying that the kingdom is going to start small like a mustard seed and stay small like a mustard seed. He says, no, the kingdom is going to multiply like crazy. You know, I'm not a botanist. Maybe someone in, in the room has, is a botanist, but I did some research on a mustard plant, and in some cases, they can grow to at least 10 to 12 feet in height. So think about that small, tiny little seed over time grows into a huge plant that can be 10 to 12 feet in size. That's multiplication. So why would this have been important for the disciples to hear? Well, because they were giving their lives to following Jesus. They were wanting to know, if I invest in this kingdom, is it going to grow? Like, I'm giving my life to this kingdom. I'm laying my life down. And the, the disciples got to witness all sorts of radical growth in the kingdom. Think about Jesus sending out the 12 and then sending out the 72 and then there being 500 witnesses. And then in Acts, we're told that day by day, thousands were believing. So much so in Acts 17, I'm not sure if you've gotten there yet, but it says that these men, these disciples were turning the world upside down. So the disciples were getting to see that this thing that started as a tiny seed was growing and growing and multiplying. That should be encouraging to us. And the amazing thing about it is that it was, grow it was growth in the midst of persecution. It wasn't just, well, you, you know, we were in this incubator and it was ideal for growth and, you know, we removed all the variables and so that's what allowed the kingdom to grow like that. It was like, no, it was in the midst of the most difficult 
circumstances. So that should encourage you. If you're in difficult circumstances, if it's hard to do ministry, if there's persecution, if it's difficult to talk to coworkers or to neighbors or to friends, this should encourage us to say that the kingdom is going to keep growing despite those things. God's kingdom will grow. His church will advance. You know, think about this. One day, about 35 years ago, Cornerstone was just an idea. It wasn't even, it didn't exist. It was a group of families that met together in a home and said, what if God would start a church through this group of people? And here we are, just a few decades later, and Cornerstone is having opportunities to influence hundreds and thousands of people here in the Lehigh Valley, but really all over the world. It's amazing to think about the multiplication that's happened right in your midst. You're a part of that. You might not even realize that you were a part of those prayers 35 years ago in, that, in those living rooms and those, around those tables where people were just praying, God, would you use us to do something mighty here in this city? So this type of exponential growth, it should give us hope, but it also, it, it requires patience. That's one of the challenges about exponential growth is that it doesn't often happen immediately. It typically doesn't. It takes slow and steady time. You know, I think this is difficult for us as Americans because we want things to happen instantly. You guys can relate to that? Like more and more we want things to happen instantly. You know, we don't want our TV shows to come out once a week so you got to wait till Tuesday night. We just want the whole season to come out at once so we can binge watch the whole thing. And then we want multiple seasons to come out so we can watch the whole thing. I mean, that's, that's the culture that we live in. I mean, think about the Apple Watch. I'm not against Apple or against Apple Watches, but just think about this. How lazy are we that you can have a phone in your pocket and be like, you know what, it's really inconvenient to reach into my pocket and pull out that phone. It's going to take about a second and a half. What I really need to do is just lift my wrist right here and read that text message. Like, think about that. That Apple created something that meant that all it does is cut about a second of time off of your, your looking at your phone. And people are like, I need that. I need that. I will pay hundreds of dollars for that thing. Think about another example of this. It's just kind of silly when you think about our culture. Think about McDonald's. You know, McDonald's is fast food. Well, it's apparently not fast enough because now we need McDonald's to be delivered to us. Like, we can't just get in the car and go through the drive-thru. It's like, you know what would be really nice if I could pull up Grubhub and, uh, and get some McDonald's delivered to me because I really need a large fry from McDonald's. I mean, just we have this craving for things that would happen instantaneously. And so I think, I think it's hard because I think our cultural experience is impacting our expectations around church growth. We want people to grow up fast. We want churches to grow out fast. And so Jesus is using this parable to remind us that growth, it's organic. It takes time. And I think hopefully COVID is teaching us some of that, that we've had to slow down. We've had to take more time. It, it hasn't gone, whatever our plans were, most of them have slowed significantly. And I think it's an opportunity to, to actually invest in the right way and the right things. Growth is meant to be organic. It's not, if you think about people who love organic things, they're not meant to be microwaved, right? You don't microwave, you know, they're not organic hot pockets. They just don't make those. That's, that's a hot pocket is meant to be microwaved. Organic things, typically not. 
So exponential growth, it's a promise from God that requires patience. The last thing that we see about kingdom growth is that it leads to radical transformation. We see this both in the cumulative growth of the mustard plant. Like the mustard plant grows, it it radically alters from a seed into a plant into a shrub that can eventually provide shade. And what started as a little seed is now completely unrecognizable as a plant. You see, kingdom growth, it changes individuals, it transforms hearts, and it transforms communities. It's meant to do something in us, and it's meant to do something through us. And we see this in the transformation of the tree, and we see this in the transformation around the tree. I don't know if you caught this, but remember, Jesus tells us that the plant, it eventually provides rest and shelter for others. So the Bible makes it clear that His kingdom is not only going to radically transform your life, but it also will radically transform the lives of the people around you. That if it really does do a work in you, and your life is altered and there's fruit that's being born, it's going to be a blessing to those that receive shade from you and fruit from your, from your life. So I just want us to think about a couple questions for application tonight. The first one is, have you been radically transformed by Jesus? Have you experienced radical transformation in your own heart? In essence, are you experiencing steady and continual growth? Does it mean like, like the small seed that grows slowly over time? It doesn't mean that's going to happen overnight. Sometimes it's slow, steady growth over a long period of time, but are you growing? And think about the people around you. Could the people around you that know you, could they testify to the growth that's happening in you and through you? Would they say, I remember, I remember her. You know, you don't know what she was like back then. It is amazing to think about who she is today. Or, you know, you, you, that guy, he would never have done that. And man, it's amazing to see how generous he is now. Is there transformation happening in your life? That's what the gospel does when it comes to us. It changes our hearts. It leaves us different. So has your life been radically transformed by Jesus? The second question Are you strong and stable enough to provide others with shelter and refuge? You see, we're not meant to live individualistic lives. What what is maturity? I love this. My pastor in Lakeland, uh, I don't know if he got this from somewhere else, but it's super helpful. But when you think about maturity, maturity is your ability to think out in time, so out in time and out in relationships. So think about that. That's what maturity really is. So what is a two-year-old's two most common words? Mine and now. So what is a two-year-old, all the two-year-old's thinking about is me and what can I get right now? Well, as you mature from a two-year-old to hopefully, you know, a teenager and to an adult, you begin to think out in time. Instead of just thinking about what's right in front of me, you start thinking about what's, what's next week or what's next semester or what's next year. Maybe eventually you start thinking about decades in advance to think about how you can think out in time. And then relationally, as you grow in maturity, you start thinking not just about yourself, (coughs) but you start thinking about others. You start thinking about the people around you. You start thinking about your family members. You start thinking about your friends. You start thinking about others. 
That's what the gospel does. The gospel matures us. It transforms our hearts so that we don't just think about what right now, what's right now, and we don't just think about ourselves. We think about others. So as you're growing, have you grown to a place where you actually can provide refuge and shelter to, the, to those around you? doesn't mean it's necessarily hundreds of people, but you should be able to eventually care for those under you and around you. You know, we've talked a lot about the nature of growth in the kingdom, but how does the kingdom actually grow? Well, Jesus tells us that the kingdom grows when a seed is planted in the ground. And it's interesting, in John 12, verse 24, Jesus says this about this same idea. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. You see, Jesus knew that the kingdom couldn't grow unless he died. His death paved a way for us to live. Listen to what Isaiah says about Jesus and prophesying about him. He says, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. You see, Jesus is the seed that went into the ground, except the ground couldn't hold him. You see, we're reminded of Jesus' remarkable humility, that it was his death that brought life. See, Jesus is a king who's asking others to lay down their lives so that the kingdom can grow. And he's not asking us to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. The way that the kingdom grows is that seed has to be scattered. And part of how the seed gets scattered is by preaching the word, but part of how the seed gets scattered is by us laying our lives down for others. That's really the mark of maturity, is are you willing to lay your lives down for others so that they could live? What a marvelous king that we have, that he was willing to go to the grave so that we could live and have life. And what an incredible kingdom that we get to be a part of, that we have this invitation to see the kingdom grow by laying our lives down for others. My prayer for you, Cornerstone, is that God would use your lives in this community to be seeds that would be scattered so that this, this church could grow and his kingdom could grow in this area and to the ends of the earth. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that this is your kingdom And Jesus, you're the king that sits on the throne, that you rule and that you reign and that you invite us. God, I think about Colossians 1, just the amazing promise that you transfer us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved son. That we get life because of what Jesus has done for us. Lord, we pray that you would continue to grow your kingdom. We know that you promised to do it, so we pray that we would be patient to watch you do it, and that not only would we be patient to watch, but we would participate, that we have this incredible invitation to be a part of your kingdom and the growth of your kingdom in the world. And so, God, we pray that you would use our lives to start small, to multiply exponentially, 
and to lead to transformation in our own lives and in the lives of others. Lord, we need your help to do it. And so we ask that you would do that in us and through us. We pray this in your name. Amen.